Uh, there were three titles uh, which I want to present to you because we're going to do all three. It's the same shear, but the three titles will help us give a format for the shear. Title number one was uh, official title tonight. <laughs> That's not, not one of these three. She changed it. What? The centrality of Elenu. Yeah. One title was What's Elenu doing in the middle of Shmon Esrei? On Rosh Hashanah? Everyone understand the title? We're always shocked. What's it doing in the middle of Shmon Esrei? It belongs at the end of Davani. So that was one title. She didn't like it. <laughs> the other title was uh, about Rosh Hashanah. Is Rosh Hashanah the least mentioned holiday or the most mentioned holiday in the Bible? Most of us would say it's the least mentioned. It's like the most, like nothing. It's like once or twice, half a word. And we're going to try and show you in, in a certain way it's the most mentioned holiday in the Bible. And the last one was Aleinu Shabeach itself. Is that like a... Um, a goodbye prayer. Like usually, we usually when we hear Aleinu, it means the opening's over. It's like a like an all clear type of all clear kind of sign. Or Rastabato uh, in in one of his books uh, writes about Aleinu. It's like a tefillah tederach because you know you're on your way out. <laughs> or is it a mission statement? And you can guess which way we're going to go. <laughs> a mission statement. The big word nowadays in, in schools is that there's a school or organization that have a mission statement. And Bukje, they have a whole thing. So that was also a title. So we're going to follow all three titles. And we're going to begin with a little sort of assignment, not assignment, a question, which I'm, I'm going to have difficult... I'll, I'll explain the question, and I'll explain it probably three, four times until everyone gets it straight. That's, we have to get over one little hump, and then we'll be fine. Alein um, Rosh Shabbat, we all know by heart, the first line, and the pages you have... Don't let this front page scare you. We're not going to do that front page at all. <laughs> it's only, I just need the structure. No, it's the front page is only going to teach us about the structure of davening. We're not going to do anything inside, but it's, it's going to be very helpful in the middle of the year. Um, but Aleinu, if you want to follow, um, actually, you know, don't look at the page yet because I don't mess things up. <laughs> I'd rather do it by heart. Okay? And then we'll see on the board. Aleinu the Shabbat Ladon Easy to translate. How, don't look at the English. How would you translate it? Aleinu means upon us to praise the Adonakol, master of all. Okay. To give greatness to the creator of the beginnings. Now, you understand that Aleinu goes on both? Aleinu, get right now. Is there you there? Yeah. Aleinu, l'shabeach, l'adonakol, and l'tet g'dulah. Is that clear to everybody? It's real simple. Okay. Then we say, How would you translate that? Yeah. Now, I'm going to give you two possibilities. I've got to go over this hump and then we'll be fine. Would you translate it, the sh? Most English translations write the word for. Okay? But we're not going to use that. What would be more precise here? Because or that? Okay. We'll take a vote. So first, don't think about it for a second. What, what did you always think? If you ever know what, yeah. Okay, so let's, now we take a vote. Okay? But before we vote, I want now think about it. Okay? Think about the difference, because that difference would be really important. Right? It's upon us to praise Hashem and make Him great. That He didn't make us like everybody else, or because He didn't make us like everybody else. Okay, so we'll, we'll take a vote, and then we'll explain both possibilities. So for the fun of it, we'll just take a vote. Who says that? Okay, about half. And who says because? 
Okay, we're fine. <laughs> now we have a share. <laughs> okay. Who wants to explain to me what you mean by that? It was, that was, if, if we say that, it means, what is a Sheva? How do we praise God? In what way do we praise Him? We praise Him for the fact He didn't make us like everybody else. Was, what, that's the praise. It's our job to praise Him. And what's the first line of praise? He didn't make us like everybody else. Okay. Um, if we say because, it's a different ballgame. You understand? Right? The praise isn't that He didn't make us like everybody else. The praise is going to come much later on. We're saying it's upon us to praise God. Why is it our job to praise God? Because, etc., etc. But that's not the praise. Now, I'm, I'm sure half of you are lost, so I'm going to give you an analogy. <laughs> um, I'll give you an analogy. Let's say there's a doctor. Um, there's a doctor. Um, which of the following statements would be praise? And which would be, um, which qualifies praise? Or, as opposed to thank you, for example. Let's say this doctor is an amazing um, surgeon. Right? And he can do open heart surgery. And he can do with, with, you know, with that 24 hours without sleeping. And he has amazing abilities. That would qualify as praise? That's simple. Let's say that doctor uh, did you a favor and came over on Shabbos and helped you out with your kids. Is that praise or thank you? That's thank you. That's the fact that the, you can praise him he's a nice guy. But if you're talking about his ability as a doctor, his greatness as a doctor, it's how bright he is, how well he can do surgery. You can also talk about the fact he did you a favor. The person running... The Makolet, or the Makolet, the, uh, they don't have those there. Um, of course, no, someone working in a store, he can, do a, he can be really talented, not make any mistakes, and do this, etc. He can also do you a personal favor. Now, give me an example of a praise of God. A real simple one, which is for sure a praise, not just a thank you. Give me an example, how would you praise God? Okay, you can say he's kind. Okay. Um, he's great. Maybe like he made the heavens. Maybe think also the earth. He makes... The fact that he, that he does so many things, that he created, that's praise. Okay? The fact that he chose us, is that a sign of his greatness? <laughs> okay, now I, hope I, now I hope it's clear. I mean, if we're saying... Oh, are we saying it's our job to thank God? Or are we saying it's our job to praise God? <laughs> but now I'm going to just explain it one more time and then we should be over the hump and then we can do this here. What I want to show in this share is many people, almost half of you I think in the beginning, usually it's even more, understand when they say Aleinu, they're saying it's upon us to thank God for choosing us. Because He didn't make us like a goy. Like, almost like the bracha shalosani goy in the beginning. It seems like we're thanking Hashem, we're about to leave davening, I'll thank you for making me Jewish, let me go, let me go now. <laughs> As opposed to, it's upon us to praise God and now we're explaining why is it our job to praise God. Now, if we were doing it with a, with a, um, with a word processor, it's, it's a, it's a lenu, I would, if we, in English, say, it uh, is upon us. I think, is that what they write there? Is it upon us? Or I think it's better to say, it is our duty. To. And I would bold our. It's our duty to praise God. It means ours as opposed to anybody else's. It is upon us to praise Him. 
Now, look at the, that's why, the only reason I gave this translation, look at the translations. I, I, I made two examples of them. First, I went to the library, and they had like 10 different monsters. So I just picked out two which were different. Um, here, we'll take the first one. We'll, we'll take Rabbi, we'll do, I guess, this looks like JPS, it looks like, I don't know what, um, I don't know whose translation it is, but it's an old, it's from the, like, printed in the 1950s. It sounds like, it, look, it reads like the JPS Bible, the original 1917 JPS translation. Okay. It says, It behooves us to praise the Lord of all, to ascribe greatness to Him uh, who formed the world in the beginning. That, right? One translation says that. Which is it? This page over here, which is 135, 136. One translation said that. And look at the Art Scroll translation. There it says four, which can go either way. Four could be understood pretty much either way. I never saw any of them saying because. But four can mean because. Yeah. yeah. But four, can't four go either way? It's, pretty, it's, it's not as clear as that or because. That or because you're making a decision. Okay. Now the rest of the year, what we have to do um, is, is to prove that it's because. Now, to prove that, that's going to take us to Rosh Hashanah, which will be real simple now. Um, on Rosh Hashanah, a question? Oh, yeah, because that's out of the, um, th- that's a different gear. So there's, some people have it in their sitter. Yeah, some people, some people have it in their sitter, some people don't. It's two different gear sa'ot. Um, what's gear sa'ot in English? Versions, Versions of, the, of the prayer. It could be, yeah. Remind me on, uh, um, I've, there's two jokes. I, I'll, I don't want to do them at the beginning. <laughs> but one about the Alenu and one about there's two, two Alenu good jokes I'll, I'll, I'll do it when people are falling asleep <laughs> but make sure I don't finish with two I owe you two two good lines I think they're good um, now as long as you have your pages in front of you we'll go back to the translations in a minute I want to look at that front page which is like totally confusing okay it's simply a friend of mine tried to squeeze all davening all of, all of um Muslav onto one page. <laughs> but the reason he did it because it gives a very good structure. I'm sure we're all familiar with Blanc Shofar and Rosh Hashanah. And we know that there's three sections. There's what's called Machiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. But what, what do we do with each section? What's the pattern? Muslav and Rosh Hashanah is very simple. Once you understand how it works, it's really easy to follow. And this helps you follow. That's why I brought this, because it helps you follow what's happening. Every Shmonesser begins with the opening three brachot and ends with the last three. Most Musafs have one bracha, which is called Kedushat something special about the day. Rosh Hashanah is special because instead of having one bracha in the middle, it has three brachot in the middle. Yeah. Then the first bracha is a regular one, and we add to it Malchiyot. Come on, Rosh Hashanah takes a whole. And then there's one on Zichronot and one on Shofrot. But for each one, for each bracha, there's a very Simple format. The format is as follows. We have an opening poem, followed by ten psukim, followed by a closing blessing. Understand? We have an we have a intro. Then we have psukim. Spelled that wrong. Psukim, followed by a I'll call it a long blessing. 
Next verse, everybody. We have a little intro explaining what, what the blessing will be about, what the unit. Then we quote ten verses. Three from Chumash. Three from, usually Tilim. Three from Navi. And then one last pasuk, usually from Chumash. That we'll see here. And then we finish with what's called Elokeinu, with, with a, like a two, three-line closer, which leads right into the blessing, which summarizes the main point. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping most people are aware of that, but now on that page that I showed you, which is something you can take home and, and study later on, it shows how it works. How does it work? The Malchiot section begins with, what's the opening poem of Malchiot? It's Aleinu L'Shabach. Okay. The opening section, then it's followed by Tem Sukim, Torah Tuvim and Nevim, and then a, what's called a Hatima, when we, when we close, um, when we have the final blessing. Zichrono begins with Atal Zocher, Another opening line, same pattern, closing. Shofrot begins with Once you understand, at the end of each one, then we blow Shofar three times. That, I want to make sure that was clear to everybody. I'm assuming most people knew that, but that helps you put it together. Once you have that, it's much easier to stay awake in Shmonesra and follow what's going on. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of words. Shmonesra shouldn't be linear. It should be more um, like looking at uh, Google Earth. <laughs> if you got the analogy and not just walking through a forest kind of thing we should be able to see what's happening um, now why did I do that? when we say Aleinu L'Shabach every day that's only about six, 700 years old around the 1400s okay? but Aleinu L'Shabach was originally written for Mustaf and Rosh Hashanah remember my opening title opening question what's Aleinu doing in the middle of Shmonesre? that's really not a question it's actually exa- exactly the opposite Elena was written for Shmon Esrei on Rosh Hashanah, probably in the time of Ra, probably late Amoraim, probably got finalized in the time of um, Gonim, around there. Probably, some people say Rav. Um, Damor Rav might have written it, but it's something very, very, you know, from the late Tamuric time, and became formalized in all the Matzers by the time of the Gonim for sure, time of the Rishonim. Late Rishonim, like around 1400s, all of a sudden, they slowly developed the minak, a custom, to end every tefillah, every you know, morning, like Shachrit, Musaf, and, I mean Mincha, and, um, and Arvid. Every, every time you go to Shul, you end with Aleinu. So you put it at the very end, like Nusach Svard, or almost at the end, before Shir Shayom, that you can argue between different, but you always put it at the end. But it was such a nice prayer, they put it at the end. So that answers our first question. It's not what's it doing in the middle of Shemonesra, that's where it belongs. The question is going to be, what is, what's it doing at the end of the happening? And that's going to be, that's to be the end of this year. Okay? <laughs> I have to finish with that. When we finish this year, I'll try to explain the way I understand why, how, why it's so important to be at the end every day. Um, now. now I have to get to the to proof that the meaning is, it's, it's our duty as a Jewish nation to praise God. Okay? And the Shem means because. And now we have to explain why is it our duty to praise God? For example, if, if we follow the Aleinu now, let's try to get the structure straight. It's our duty to praise God, to make Him look good. Why is it our duty? Because that's why He chose us. He didn't make us like other... other we're not saying the other nations are bad. We're not saying the other nations are evil. It's, God didn't choose them for that reason. The other nations are there. But they weren't chosen by God. They weren't given a portion. They weren't given a... They weren't commanded to praise God. They can if they want, but that's not the reason why they were chosen. They weren't chosen at all. They're regular nations. God picked one nation and chose them, 
And the primary purpose of that nation is to praise God. We're going to see that as a big theme in, in Chumash in the Bible. And then we have all those reasons. And we, as opposed to them, it's our job to bow down and praise God, etc. But how does the praise begin? Shuhun, remember? Shuhun et He spread out the heavens, established the earth. Moshe Bikar Mimao, his throne. We begin our, our praise with Shuhun et So, that's how Elena works. Now, the neatest part is going to be what's called the Akena Kaveh. And then later the Psukim we quote, basically we have a wish list at the end. First we have our duty, and then we have a wish list, which we, after we do our theme, then we'll go back to that wish list and see what all the things we say before we get to the Psukim. So now we're going to take, we're going to return to Alenu in about 10-15 minutes. Now we're going to take a tour of the Bible. Again, we'll do Google Earth, <laughs> on our, we'll call it Google, um, we're going to go up and try to see, we're going to try to see through the forest, what's happening in Chumash, what's this concept of being chosen or, or to praise God. Why is it our duty to praise God? And I'm going to use a little model simply to cover a lot of Chumash in, in the simplest way possible, I think, to try to understand what's this thing. I call it, as a title, um, From Covenant to Commandment. Got the idea? There's a basic question. Why do the Jewish people have so many laws? How can we have so many more? How can we get 613 and we have 7? Why are we commanded more than any other nation? To explain that, to answer that question, you have to begin that the commandments that we have all stem from a covenant at Har Sinai. The, the Ten Commandments, what we call the Ten Commandments, which is which the Chumash calls statements, those original commandments aren't the beginning of our relationship with God. Before God gives us those commandments, first we enter an agreement, we enter a covenant. Once that covenant is solidified, then we talk about commandments. So we're going to show what we have to do then to appreciate why we have commandments and what those commandments are, and to view them. We have to see how, that, how those commandments stem from a covenant. When we understand what's the reason for that covenant, then we can understand how everything's going to fit together. So we're going to follow this idea of covenant. But to explain commandments, we're going to follow this concept of covenant. In Chumash. Okay. Who knows where's the first time we have a covenant in Chumash? There's before Avram. Yeah? Noah. The rainbow, rainbow covenant called Brit HaKeshet. It's a famous one. To try to understand what's happening there, um, I want to give an analogy. Uh, I'm sort of borrowing from an idea in Kabbalah, which, I don't under, which I'm not sure if I understand, but I'll borrow it anyhow. If something breaks, we're familiar with that. You have two options. What can you do when something breaks? Real simple. Either, either fix it or throw it out and buy a new one. Okay? Real simple. Compare God's creation to a clea, a clea vessel. In Kabbalah, they compare the creation was first like a, uh, a sphere full of light. And remember, it broke, and it's our job to pick up the pieces or find the light in every piece. That's the concept in Kabbalah. I want to take, as a stepping stone, Compare God's original creation as a as something built. Right? What happened after ten generations? What did God realize? It's broken. The generation of the flood, remember, I think one of the best proofs that God has expectations for man, even without commandment, is from the story of the flood. You understand why? How could God punish an entire generation for corruption, etc., if they were never commanded not to be corrupt? Remember, the mitzvot of B'nai Noach are only after the flood. 
I think the best proof that there's this concept of natural morality is, is rooted in Chumash, in the beginning. When God first made man, he expected him with a certain baseline behavior. He didn't have to come up with his own, with all the laws on his own, but basic, um, what's called muskalot in Hebrew. Right? The, the obvious commandments, not to kill, not to steal. Man, man knows that on his own. His instinct tells him that. Borderline cases is a different story. But basic, good human behavior, God expects from man. The fact that God punishes the whole generation of the flood because of corruption, I think proves that point. What did God decide to do because of the corruption? To fix it or throw it out? He threw it out. And what's he do? I call it hitting the reset button. The flood is basically, God hits the reset button. Why is Noah chosen? For the purpose of recreation. Noah is chosen and Avram is chosen. Both are chosen. But each is chosen for a totally different reason. Even though Chumash has a beautiful job of comparing them. They both, they both, Chumash uses very similar words, but the choosing of Noach is totally different than the choosing of Avram Avinu. Okay? Noach is chosen for one purpose, as to be the, the vehicle through which God's going to recreate, sort of like the specimen from which he'll recreate. But God's recreating. What happens as soon as the flood is over? What does God do? He enters a covenant with Noach, doesn't he? With Noach and all mankind, and all creation. What in essence, in it, what in essence is that covenant? What? Following our model, right? What? Following our model, God's covenant is real simple. Covenant is, I'm not going to hit the reset button again. No more resetting. That's pretty much what he says without reading all the psukim inside. I thought we had an hour and a half. I heard it's only an hour, so I got I to gotta cut. You're lucky. You might not even need... Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll see some psukim inside. Um, was that clear? But... The, the covenant that God makes with Noah is I'm not going to hit the reset button again. Not by a flood and early, he said, not by, in any way. He doesn't say I'm never going to punish. And now we have to clarify some laws to make things we call the seven Noahite laws. But God's not going to hit the reset button again. What will God do now if something goes wrong? He can't throw it out. He has no choice but to fix it. Okay? That's the background for the next choice that God does. But mankind goes bad again after the Tower of Babel story. God can't throw them out. He can't hit the reset button. What can he do? He can, for that reason, God chooses Abraham Avinu. And enters the covenant, better known as Brit Milah. Now, let me just show you how, how Chumash did, I want two textual parallels which I think are, which strength, which, um, strengthen the point. Um, the first one is, take a look in Perak Tet, in Breshit. I'll find the page, everyone has the same GPS. In chapter 9, in Breshit, after the seven um, Noachite laws, um, where are we? Page, page, um, what are the pages? Page, page, look at page 16. And, yeah, page 16, um, Pasuk 9, Pasuk 10. You can start from Pasachet, that's fine. So right after the seven Noachite laws in Purvu, then in Pasachet, in verse 8, top of page 16. I'm going to establish my, look at the words, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and with your children after you, with all living things. Look in verse 11, Pasachet Aleph. Look at the words, I'm not going to 
Let's say hit the reset button. Let's throw my ball. Okay. And then we have it, what's called in Pasuk Yudbet. God says, Zot Otabrit. I'm going to have a sign of the covenant, which is going to be the rainbow. Zoom to chapter 17. We call Brit Milah. Verse 7. Perak Yudzain, Pasuk Zain. See the exact same words? Vakimoti, Briti again, without... It, this deserves a whole share, but because of the time strain, and I want to focus on our main topic, I just want to show you an example how one covenant leads to the next in, in Chumash. Okay? It's almost the first covenant is a foil for the next one. Bakimoti Briti. I'm sorry. Pasik Zain. Bakimoti Briti Ben Yu Ben Yaakov Ben Zarcha Charech Loton Brit Olam Liot Lachalalohim. What in essence is the Brit? The Brit is, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Liot Lachalalohim. Together with that comes the land of Israel. What's the old Brit? Remember, both have a sign? What's the old Brit? Brit Milah? That's circumcision. Understand the difference? Brit Milah is not circumcision. Brit Milah is, you're my God, I'm your God, you're my people. Brit Milah is a, co- is a partnership between God and Avram's, Avram's, the nation that will come from Avram Vinu. I'll be your God, a special, a close relationship. A reminder of that relationship is circumcision. It's an old Brit, a sign. Guess what we're going to find? What, what's going to be the next Brit? This is going to be upgraded. Next is going to be Brit Sinai. And if you know how Bukhukatai begins, Bakimotid Brit Itchem, you have the exact same words later on. Matan Torah is going to be a Brit, we call Brit Sinai. Does that have an oath? You talk about it every Shabbat. Right? Shabbat is oath of Brit right? Shabbat is oath of Brit Sinai. Benu Benbeis Otil Olam. It's the exact same pattern. Again, that, that, um, I, I, did, I shouldn't have done that, but that's a whole share. <laughs> but it's so neat how we go from one step to the other. One last parallel, which I think is, is the most telling, as long as you still open the Parakid Zion, page 28. How is Noah described before he's chosen? Why is he chosen over anybody else? Right? How's it hard to describe him? He's a tzaddik, he's tamim, etolimit alech Noah. He's an ishtam. Noah's chosen for what he was. Look at the beginning of Parakid Zion in chapter 17. Look how it begins. God's opening words to Avram Avinu. Avram's 90 years old, 99. God appears to him and tells him in the middle of Pasuk Aleph, Emre Lav, Ani Kel Shaddai, Hitalech Lefanei Beheyetamin. Betnebriti Bedei Benecha. I'll translate. What's God to Avram Avinu? Avram isn't chosen for what he was. He's chosen for what he needs to be. Hitalech Lefanei Beheyetamin. It's... it's Rashi, everyone knows the Rashi right away. Who's the bigger Sonic? Yeah, yeah, but, but Rashi's picking exactly on that parallel. One's called Hitalech. Avram, Avram is chosen for what he needs to be. And it's two different reasons of being chosen. Noah is chosen. First, God decides I'm going to recreate. I need someone to recreate with. I thought I picked the best specimen. Avram isn't chosen. Avram, God doesn't decide to recreate. Now God decides I'm going to fix. How's God going to fix? He enters the covenant with Avram Avinu, to be the forefather of a nation. And part of nature now, part of, the, part of the history of nations, is God's going to throw a catalyst into the history of nations called the Jewish people. For that goal, he chooses Avram Avinu to be the forefather of that nation. He enters a covenant with him, which is going to be upgraded and finalized in Har Sinai. But the purpose of that covenant is going to be, tell me from Aleinu, the Takein Olam, the Machut Shaddai. The whole concept of Tikkun Olam. I'm trying to simplify Maybe oversimplified, but what I want to show you, that's going to be the main theme of Aleinu. 
It's our job to fix mankind. Got that? Hope that point is clear now. Yeah, question. Ramban Ibn Ezra, both sides. <laughs> it's the Brit, when, on the, the first time the word Brit comes up, what's the word Brit come from? So Ramban and Ibn Ezra have a, have a fight. Is the Brit a one-sided thing, or is Brit always two-sided? Okay. So that's a big argument. They fight it out there. Yeah. But you see, with Noah, it's interesting. He says, I'm going to make the covenant at him, but with Ammon, it says, so It's closer that way. Benu Beitcha is a little bit closer. Well, it's closer. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, because the Brit with Noach, the Brit with Noach is with all, with, it's Benu Ben Ha'aretz. It's, it, it can't be particular because it's with everything created. But there's not a between in, 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 yeah. in Noach. It's just, it's, you know, there's a direct object. Yeah. Here it's between because, it, because it's more personal. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, there's a great thing that I made. Oti, lo omeyad Benu Beni. Who's that? Who's that Ebenezer or that's what 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 seminar is that? Oh, Tilo Omeyad, Meno Vini. What? Kishmara Shabbat. Yeah. So who who wrote that one? It's either Ebenezer or what? Rabbi Dalevi. Say text the words. What's the first? Who? Um, yeah, it's exactly. For, okay, can't take up too much time. You'll look it up later. <laughs> yeah, it's part. Yeah, it's part. It's all parshanut. Um, yeah, that's 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 Ebenezer. Yeah. Um, it's Ebenezer. Um, yeah, so let me, let me follow, let me summarize, and then we'll get to the next step. What I want to show you is, if I, if I take a global view of Sefer Breshit, what's happening? Through the Britot, God chooses, right? That's the concept of Bechira and Sefer Breshit. God's choosing a nation to what's called the Taken Olam to make, to, when, when, it, when mankind goes bad, there'll be sort of a conscience imprinted or in, part of creation. Yirmiel talks about it in Paraglam and Gimel that his covenant with the Jewish people is like his covenant with day and night. Just like day and night don't change, his covenant with the Jewish people won't change. It means we're part of creation. That's why Ramban calls the book Sefer Yitzirah. He says it's about how God, together with creating the heavens and the earth, he creates the Jewish people and they're sort of built into the system. They're sort of a, a, a conscience. Now, Chumash doesn't guarantee it's going to work, but the job is eternal. Avram is chosen for what he needs to be, not for what he was. Or what's called, we're chosen to be better, not because we're better. Um, now, which is the difference between Judaism and racism, if you want to play with cliches. Okay, now, how do we go from here to... to co- now, how do we take from that covenant, how does that turn to commandment? But there's a bigger question before then. How is it supposed to work? How does a nation fix things? How is the nation going to make other nations better? Just by teaching? If that's the case, everyone should keep the same laws. So there's, there's a very pretty obvious pattern in Chumash that the, there's a concept of what's called a model nation. God doesn't expect all nations to be on the top highest level of behavior. He expects basic behavior from all nations. But just like we expect a rabbi, the rabbi's sons, or a judge, right? maybe we don't anymore, but to, to act better than the average person, I mean, what, the judge is doing that, the rabbi is doing that, it used, to, it used to be state congressman. That's, you know, that's, we gave up on those. We'd have to expect bad behavior. I won't mention Knesset. Um, <laughs> but because your job is to represent God, God expects a higher code of behavior. Now, I want to read one passage from Sefer Breshit, which I think ties it all together, which will take us right back to all the things of Machiot. It explains how, what Machiot is about. 
Um, I call it the biggest marketing scheme ever. <laughs> What's the marketing scheme? God wants this idea. How, how, why would mankind be better? If mankind would recognize there's one God, not many gods. If there's more than one God, if there's, everyone's in charge of different things, but there's no mayor, there's no one running everyone, there's a guy in charge of the, there's a guy in charge of the water system, a guy in charge of the... Of, I'm, pick, I'm comparing it to a mayor for a minute. If I'm living in a city, so there's someone who brings the natural gas, someone who brings water, someone who takes out the garbage, someone who you know, builds roads, etc. And everyone's in charge of their own thing, motor vehicles department. But there's no... But sometimes, growing up, you don't realize there's someone in charge of all of them. At a low level, look, what appears to you is there's a lot of different people controlling my life and I've got to placate all of them. And that's how I survive. If that's the case, there can't be any absolute justice. There, may, there might be a God of justice you know, who gets his two cents in every once in a while. But if there's more than one God, there's lots of gods, there's lots of powers, there, there's, no, there's no one holding anybody responsible. And everyone has to simply deal with every God. If there's one God, and he's a just God, but he's, he's the boss of everybody, if man realizes that, then there's an ability, then there's some um, responsibility. Then the question is, why do guys make man? That's a right question of philosophy. But if mankind recognizes only one God, and he has expectations for man, then we can hope through that education, behavior will be better. And that's why the first story... If you look at Sefer Breshid again, the, what are the first stories about? I think we may have done, the, may have done this show before. Every single story after, after the first seven days of creation is all about sin and punishment. Remember? God makes man, puts him in Gan Eden. The whole story is about man sinning and God punishing him, kicking him out. Right? He gets out of Gan Eden, Cain and Hevel. It's not a story about Cain and Hevel. It's how Cain sinned and how God punished him. The next story, we jump ten generations, how mankind sinned, the generation of the flood, how God got angry, why he got angry, and how he punished them, and then recreated. The next story in Klimish, the Tower of Babel, how, God, how mankind disappointed, how God was disappointed with mankind's behavior again, and he did something about it, and then, after those four stories, each one representing a totally different category of sin, and totally different reasons why God was upset, in light of that, God chooses Avram Avinu. And even though the book never tells us the background, the, the structure of the book gives the background of, I think they call it a foil, the first 11 chapters are a foil for what will happen later on. And let God chooses Avram Avinu, but how it's going to play out, I want to simply read one pasuk, which is going to come up again in davening a lot. Um, the way to remember is Chai Chai. Chai Chai is 1818. Okay. Look in Breshit 1818. I call this, this is the master plan. What's interesting, everyone knows when God chooses Avram Avinu, in Lech Lecha, God tells him, what's he tell him? He tells him, uh, I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you. There's phrases that come up over and over again with Avram Avinu. But in Perak Yudchet, Pasak Yudchet, before God destroys stone, there's a little comment by the, uh, by Chomesh, see Pasak 18, and page 31. It says, Avram, yo Avram was destined to be a great nation. In the middle of page 31, uh, 1818. Avram is destined to become a great nation. Through him, God will bring blessing to all mankind. Why? Ki edativ, because God has come to know him. That get, not that God knows. God has come to know him. God didn't think, I know Avram is going to do this. I came to know him. I chose him for this reason. So that he would command his children and they their children. 
they should keep the way of God. What's the master plan? Avram is the forefather of this nation that's going to bring God's reputation to mankind. But how is he going to do it? By him acting um, with justice and righteousness and teaching that characteristic to his children and their children. The core character of the Jewish people has to be what all the Nevim called Tzedek Mishpat. All through Nevim Achronim everywhere you turn. The same phrase. We call it justice and righteousness or social justice. But if there's a nation that that's their flag, that's what they're about, that's what they do, but that, and everyone who sees them, that's what they notice right away, okay. then maybe that nation can have an effect. It's called passive education or model, um, you know, a role model. Right? You, know, you can tell your kids what to do or you can be a model and they can learn from it. Now, let's say there's a nation doing that. How does anyone know that has anything to do with God? There's two things, there's two basic things a nation has to do, which I think explains almost all the mitzvot. There's two categories. One is the core, what's called the core values. Acting as a good person, a role model. Parshat Mishpatim, Kedoshim you, half of Sefer Dvarim. It's how you're supposed to act. For example, it's how you treat the poor, how you treat the needy, uh, how, you, how you behave, how you respect the elders. Uh, how you make sure there's judgment and you... And you remember, Parsha Mishpatim, Parsha Kedoshim Tiu and half of Dvarim. We've been reading last couple of weeks in Dvarim. Clear? Okay. But that alone is not enough because that nation needs symbols and needs reminders and needs something in continuity for that to go forever and ever, for on and on. But that nation needs to remind itself that it has this job, and therefore you need tons of symbolism to remember your mission statement, to remember what you're about. You need the core laws, but you also need ritual. You need reminders. On top of that, you need some way to show the other nations that that's why I'm doing this. And that's, whole, that's why, if you ever wonder, why is the Mishkan and Mikdash so central in Chumash? What's this temple stuff? It sounds like you know, something barbaric or ancient. The basic concept of the temple, that's why there's so much press to the temple. To, to the Mishkan and Chumash, the Mishkan is a symbol that we're God's people. And it's for other nations, it's, for, it's, it's serving a double purpose. It reminds us who our bosses and what our job is. It also shows the other people what we're representing. In the marketing scheme, we need two things. A, we need core values. A, we need to tell people why we're doing it. But we don't, say, we don't necessarily do it by what we say. It's more by how we act. Now, both of them have to work hand in hand. Because let's say this nation is screaming out everywhere, I'm God's people. I'm the chosen nation. God chose me to represent them. I'm waving the flag. I'm talking about God day in and day, day, in and day out. And everyone hears, everyone, hears about, everyone knows about this nation. And this nation is always claiming and telling the world, I'm chosen by God. But let's say that nation acts in a way that's despicable, etc. So now it won't work. It's going to be counterproductive. On the flip side, let's say this nation just closes itself off, lives in some kind of ark in the middle of nowhere, smiling, can be the most best behavior, like a monastery kind of setup, but no one hears about him, no one knows about him. We've made no impact on mankind. And therefore, that's why God set, sets aside a land located smack in the middle of civilization. That's where, it's not by chance he put the land of Israel. He didn't put us in Australia. He put us smack in the middle of centers of civilization. And, and, and it's our behavior, not just as individuals, but also our behavior as a nation that's going to make us, that gives us that visibility. That's a marketing scheme. 
God doesn't promise it's going to work, but it's a, cha- it's not a, it's a challenge that it will work. It's an eternal challenge, and that's, and that's the eternal covenant God has with His people. But because of that, there's, there's, there's two things we have to do, is how we act and how we talk about it. Now, how do we get the message across? Pay attention to davening. That's the concept of what's called Shem Hashem. Shem means not just name, it means a reputation. It's our job to make a reputation for God. And you're making a reputation for someone who can't be seen, can't be heard. How, how, do you, how do you market a product that can't be seen or can't be heard? That's not an easy job. You have to talk about them all the time. And therefore, every time the Jews gather together, what do we do? We talk about God. Pay attention to the Zimra. Not half of davening, but a good portion of, of, of regular tefillah, of regular prayers, is as, as a group and as a nation, we're, we eat something. We talk about God right away. You, you can't be an observant Jew and someone on the outside not realize he, he's got a one-track mind. And as a Jew, you wake up in the morning and your, your main job as a Jew is you're serving God. Now, how to serve God the best, that's already a question in Hashkafa. In um, Hashkafa is Hashkafa. It's um, Veltenschanken. <laughs> Veltenschanken, something like Velten. There's no real English word for it, is there? Yeah, okay. Um, that's your view. How, being a Jew, the first thing is going to be when you wake up in the morning, you remember, I'm created to serve God, and I'm, not just as an individual, but I'm part of a nation who's dedicated in the service of God. Now, how to do your job best, that's what people argue about, that's what we fight about all day long. Within those, among the people who agree, that's what we need to do, then you have a whole range of hashkafot of what's the best way to do it, what's the most efficient way. And then you can argue, but that has to be the baseline beforehand. Now, um, what's Malchiyot now? I think with that background, you can understand what's Malchiyot. Malchiyot means making God king. How do you make God king? What do you do to make God king? What? So you make him, but you got to talk about him. You have to make a whole service. You have a whole coronation ceremony. And you talk about it, and you talk about how great he is. It's Aleinu L'Shabeach. It's so, when, you re, when you recognize that Aleinu L'Shabeach was written as the intro to this concept, that it's our job as a Jewish, it's our duty right, to make, to market this concept of God to mankind by what we say and how we act, then the opening line makes perfect sense. It's our job to praise Hashem, to make Him look really good, talk about Him all the time, because that's why He chose us. He didn't make us like the other nations. It's our job to bow down to Him, talk about Him all the time. And what's great about Him? Got that idea? Now, let's look at the wish list in the second paragraph. Actually, there's one other thing since it's Chodesh Elul. Um, um, we say this, look at the last phrase of the first paragraph. What Chazal do all the time, they make a point and they prove it with a Pasuk. Don't they? Remember something? Look what they say in, in, in the Leno, I guess. The, we use the Arsko version? Either one. Yeah, the Arsko is easy to read. Um, it says, See the last line? What's the proof that God is the only God, the great God? What's it say? You should know today. And do tshuva, return in your heart. He's the God of heavens above, earth below. There's no one, there's no one else. That's the one, that's the statement of monotheism. What does Vyadata Hayom? What's it mean? You should know. What day is it talking about? What? So I'll show you something really cute, which is, has to do with Chuva. Look in Dvarim Perak Dalad. Dvarim Perak Dalad, um, we read this on Tishabav. Dvarim Perak Dalad, smack in the middle. 
Kitolit Banim of Bnei Banim. That's going to be page 384. See 384? Um, that's a good question. Um, Pasuk 25. Pasuk Kafe. Okay, chapter 4, verse 25. You can follow in English, but I'll just read the first two Pesukim. We read this on Tishvah, you'll see why. And Moshe tells the people, you're going to have children and grandchildren, and you're going to be in a long time in the land, and you're going to go bad, you're going to follow other idols, and God's going to get really angry. I'm warning you today that I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to kick you out of the land, um, you won't live there for a long time, God's going to spread you out among the nations, etc. And then he continues to tell you, um, even after I spread you out and disperse you, ultimately you'll do tshuva on your return. It's called Parshat Tshuva. Famous thing. The Rambam, in, in the laws of tshuva, asked a tremendous question on this concept. Because we have the same thing in this week's parsha. In, in, in Vayelach, we're going to have the same thing. God says, God tells Yeshua and Moshe Rabbeinu, and when Yeshua is taking over, He tells, you know what, these people are going to sin, and they're going to leave, and I have to punish them. The Rambam asked a great question. Why is God angry with the Jewish people for sinning and following other gods? He said it was going to happen. <laughs> First, He asked the question about Pharaoh. He goes, why is God punishing Pharaoh? Paro, what did God tell Avram Vinu? God said you're going to be enslaved. He's only doing what the Torah said. The Torah says we're going to sin. So we're just following orders. <laughs> the Rabbi asked that question. Now, the question, the answer is pretty obvious, but uh, uh, the analogy I like to use with yeshiva guys is in, like in yeshiva world, there's this big argument. You know, do you send kids to, only to YU or you go to, can you go to secular colleges? I'm sure anyone with kids there, it's a famous argument. So there's on the one hand, there's a big danger in going to the secular college because all the influences. On the other hand, people are going to go anyhow. And there's also, maybe you might get educated. There's also... There's, <laughs> there might be, there's, I don't want to get into the whole topic. But why, why do rabbis or, or guidance counselors tell the people not to? Because they say, if you go there, oh, you'll never be... You won't stay religious. They don't want that to happen, but they're saying it's bound to happen. Now, now what's it mean it's bound to happen? There's a good chance it's likely to happen. But why are we telling you that? So it won't happen. The same thing in any kind of training, like in, in, in drivers, in, um, in, in driver training, etc. When you aware, the more you're aware of dangers, your reaction time is much quicker. As the safer driver, the more you're, you're aware of what might happen, then there's less time of, um, of losing control. So what God is saying here, God isn't saying you're for sure going to sin. It's, it's bound to happen. It's likely to happen. But don't think when you get kicked out, it's game over. Now, look at the very end. Look, skip to, to verse 39. Okay? He gives this whole thing about how bad what's going to happen. I'm going to send you out and I'll bring you back. Let's call Parshat Tavis. Don't think game over once you're, once, you're, once you're kicked out. Then see Pasuk 39, Pasuk 385. What's Moshe telling the people? <laughs> Preventive medicine. <laughs> you understand what it means now? You should know already the day before it happens. That's exactly what the Rambam was talking about. Is exactly what the Sukkim here is saying. Being, what, what, what are we saying here? Because I know the danger, how easy it is to go off the wrong path, you should recognize that today and do tshuva before you get kicked out. That's what Moshe is telling the people. Recognize today, before you go bad, why am I telling you this? I'm not telling you because it's going to happen. I'm telling you that so it won't happen. Or like to say, prophets don't, aren't Nadim, prophets aren't chosen to, to predict history. They're supposed to shape history. And they're not sure that's what, that's what prophecy is really about. They're not, they're not oracles, hey, that's going to happen in this year, etc. 
and everything's predestined and thing. Their job is to shape history. But to warn people, there's a good chance it will go in that pattern. There's a good chance it might go in that pattern. But if you're aware of the dangers, there's a chance you'll do, you'll get it right. So that's what we code here. Viadata Hayom, know already before it starts, and do tshuva before. If you're aware of the dangers, do tshuva before it starts. So it's a beautiful, it's why I think that plus like at Aleinu is right on the mark, especially with, with the high holidays, with Rosh Hashanah. If it was written for Rosh Hashanah, it's right on the mark because it's all about tshuva. Now, now we go to the wish list and then we'll conclude, conclude our point. The wish list is Vialkei Nekaveh. Remember that one? What are we hoping for? Right. So point number one, Therefore, we're hoping God that what we wrote Meher Betiver Tuzecha that soon we will see. We want it to work. We want people to recognize you. We want we want our job to work to get rid of Lahavir Gululim in Aretz to get rid of idol worship from the land and all the other powers are the, the, the um, idol worship will get will be cut off. Then we have what's called the Takeno Lamba Machut Shaddai to fix mankind with God's kingdom. But, what we said that in the first paragraph. We're hoping that... It, now, we don't mind if it... Even if... As long as it happens, that's great. Because our goal is to work. Our goal isn't that we win. Remember, Judaism is not a religion like all the other ones. We're so different than Islam and, and Christianity. Because our, our religion isn't... We don't want everyone to be... It, it, everyone being Jewish is like every day being Shabbos. It's the same... It's the same exactly the same idea. God chose one day to give sanctity to every other day of the week. It's saying God picked one nation to be a model nation, but if every nation is a model nation, then no one's a model nation. But God expects it to be different nations, different ideas, different flags, different. But one nation is dedicated to keeping. Because some nations don't. There's no one way everyone has to live. There's, that's got to the seventy nations. One nation among those league of nations is chosen to bring God into mankind. Talk about it all the time. Mention it, etc. To be that model nation. And we're hoping it works. Now, if we don't do our job, God might do it. God might try to do something else to help out. But our, we're always chosen for that job. Um, now, this is the Takeno Lamba Machut Shaddai. That mankind should be fixed. Now I get my one joke in. <laughs> there's a... There's a um, tikkun Olam is like a dirty word sometimes. In the, yeah, tikkun Olam is like, you know, oh, that means you're... You say Tikkun Olam, you're a trafe already. So, there's a minute in the first paragraph to, um, that you mentioned before. Shemi Shachavim Hevavurik. So there's a minag in, in European communities used to spit. You know, they would mention the other guys and they would say, Shemish Tachim Avarik, and they would spit. You familiar with that? Yeah. So the joke was, the, in the second paragraph, they spit, <laughs> they spit again. <laughs> that was just a joke, it wasn't. <laughs> and that was one. <laughs> I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do the other one. <laughs> you know what the other one is? Long time putting them together. That's the, that's the three people come to... I probably won't offend anybody. The three people come to God and complain. Elena comes to God and complains. How come you put me? How come, no, how come you put me down the davening and everyone's running out of shul? You know, why'd you put me in the sitter in such a lousy spot? You know, I'm always at the end. And Asher Yatsar came and complained to him. People only talk about me coming out of the restroom. You no, know, it's not fair. You know, I'm always associated with something bad. Okay? And the moms there came and complained to him. Moms say, you know, how come I get treated so bad and you know I can't? You know, they treat me like nobody. So God says, okay, Elena the Shabbat. I'll do you a favor. On Rosh Hashanah, you get smack in the middle, you get prime time. Yeah. Okay. Asher Yotzar at weddings. Yeah. We'll sing, yeah, sing a phrase. The mom says, we'll make you the president of the shul. <laughs> 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 okay, you, you fit in whatever, you know. 
if in the rest. That was there in the first one, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, so, that's, so again, the Takenu Lamba Machut Shaddai. Now I want to show you how the same theme again comes up again. What's that mean? All, all living things, all of God's creations will now, call out to God or about God. You can go either way, but where's that phrase from? Again, if you, if you want to look at Avram Avinu, when Avram is chosen, I'll show you just, I want to show you how the Alenu is built. I'm trying to show you that Alenu is built on mega things in Pumash. Yeah, when Avram builds this Mizbeach, but just look at the end of Parag Dalad in Breshit, which is a cliffhanger. We're not going to go into it, but just look at the last line on page 9. On page 9, the last line of chapter 4, Shit was, uh, gave birth to a son, and his called his name is Anosh, and then as a cliffhanger it says, Azu Hashem. And there's a whole argument that they began, or they began to profane God's name. But that phrase is, Kriya B'Shem Hashem is a mega theme in Breshit. Now then, shame, remember why was shame called shame? Noach was, Baruch Hashem okay shame. Noach named his son shame to make a name. Shame means reputation. He was hoping shame would make a reputation for God, which is offsprings. No, it was Abram and Abram, you know. It's ten generations. Abram, the story of Abram begins with total shame. In chapter 12, when Abram is chosen, he makes Aliyah, page 21. The bottom of page 21. He goes on, he makes it to Israel, he's chosen, he goes to Bethel, and he builds a Mizbeach, and the end of verse 8, he says, He builds a Mizbeach, he builds an altar, and he calls out, he calls out about God. The Ramban explains, he's making a name for God. That's called, the life of our forefathers is a, what's the word for it? A, um, a foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing what, 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 what his children are supposed to do. In chapter 13, um, verse 4, page 22, he goes back to the same Mizbeach after he comes back from Egypt. And again, he calls out, Avram comes from Mesopotamia to the land of Israel, makes the name for God. Goes down to Egypt. What happens, happens. Comes back from Egypt, goes to another Mizbeach, or goes back to the same Mizbeach, again calls out. With Abimelech, he makes the thing, and then we're going to read that on uh, Rosh Hashanah. Aren't we? With Abimelech and Avram, they make a, they make a, they make a, right? They make a Eshel and Beersheba, and they, they sign the treaty, and by Hashem Avram, B'Shem Hashem Kelolam. Avram, his whole life, is making a name for God. Now, one word for Zionism. If Bill Gates got up on an interview, Barbara Walter's still around, or she still interviewing people? Okay? If she was interviewing Bill Gates, about thinking about, what do you think about life? And he starts talking about God and religion and being good, etc., People would be, you no, know, I think probably church going would go would double <laughs> the next day. If some bum off the street, anybody, I'm thinking about it, would go around and start, you know, going down, say, walking up and down the subways and saying, you know, talking about God and praise God, no one, no one would listen to him. In, in that analogy, in order, if to make a name for God and talk about it all the time, it only works if people look up to you, and therefore the need to be a nation. The need to, ha- to have a country, to have an economy, to have culture, to have... I'm trying to fit this into the rubric of, of it's called modern orthodoxy or religious Zionism. Right? The idea of being people that, other, that have visibility. Was, you can't take it too far and be totally um, um, integrated. 
But you, have, you have to have your identity, but also you have to have disability. He's like, but again, I quote Rav Sabato here from one time. He said that first you have to have a home. You have to have a house. You have to be rooted somewhere. Then you can argue how big your windows are going to be. Big windows, small windows. But first you have to have a home. First you have to be Jewish. You have to have your community. You have to have your shul. You have to be, you have to be Jewish. In 80, 90% what you're doing. Then, how big of a window, once you're established as a person, then the question, how big, how big, how big do you open your window? And you can't make it too big because you can't, you can't become diluted. So you can't be too small, can't be too big, and there's always that dynamic to find the right, the right opening. And it depends on the person. There's no one right answer. There's no one right formula. But that concept is a, is a very good one. And therefore, there's a need to be a good, strong nation. It's good to have an economy, to have a country, to have an army, etc. But you overdo it, right? and put too much into that. So nationalism is important, but when you overdo it, that's what happened the generation after Shlomo. If you don't have enough of it, you don't accomplish anything. And Judaism is always in that dialectic between, between focusing on the ritual, which is super important because you have to keep something going for thousands of years and you have to need reminders. Just to be a good person is not enough. It's not going to last for thousands of years. And it needs teaching, etc. But on the other hand, if it's this ritual and not the core values, it turns into it. And that, those two values is how they, how they fit together. So again, back to Lena, we said, Two big themes of Sefer Breshit. And how, how do we, what are the commandments about? That's why that from covenant to commandment. We go from the covenant to Tarsinai. Because of that covenant, we get all these extra laws. We need laws for the first half of the Ten Commandments, keeping Shabbat. For, is, is, that's going to be the sign. That's going to be the, that'll be our reminder of why God gave us creativity, etc. But most of the laws are for all mankind. But we of all people have to do them. Remember, lo tirzach, lo tinaf. But those, those are universal. We, we're, 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 um, we, 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 we do prevent, that's lo tachmod. Lo tachmod is preventive medicine. Understand why? In order, everyone has to hold lo tirzach, not to kill, not to steal. How do you prevent it? Don't even think about it. That's what Tachmod. Is that only for the Jewish people? For all mankind? That's a whole argument. But the concept is being precautionary. If you have to make sure no one's going to do kill and steal, etc. So you have to, you have to take things to, you know, a step higher. Okay. So, um, now we're going to do one or two psukim and then we'll finish. We have almost passed our time, right? How much time have I left? Five, ten minutes? Okay. Um, um, we had, okay, we had, by doing that, all wicked people will turn to God instead. I mean, if there's enough people being this model nation, doing the right thing, and Amisos doing their job, there's a chance that there'll be a way to fix mankind. Other nations have who to learn from. Um, and, then, and the goal is not that everyone be Jewish, everyone recognize God and what He expects from men. That's, um, everyone should know that you're the boss. Um, and everyone should give glory to your name. The rest is pretty simple. Okay. Now, look what happens in Rosh Hashanah. What do we do when we say Aleinu? We skip right to the last Pasuk, don't we? But here we give a whole list of Sukim from Chumash. Um, the first one's from Shirat Ayam, from when they crossed the Red Sea. Which we quote from Chumash. I want to pick the last one. It should be on the, yeah. Um, yeah, on, on the bottom, on here, on the Mafio thing, on the Art Scroll one. I, I also did that, that, that. Um, okay. We say Benemar, that's from Tzaria. 
he talks about the day will come and there will be water coming out of Jerusalem in all directions and things will be great and that day God will be one his name will be one and then we're short of Pasuk we need one more and for some reason we can't find any more Pesukim in Chumash right, to say the same Melech in it every, every Pasuk in Malchi it says Melech right? we're searching for one more Pasuk and what a Chazal pick for the, for the clincher what's that to do with being king See what we do here? What's the last pasuk of Malchiot? At the bottom paragraph. Um, that also got into the... <laughs> what's that doing there? What's that to do with God being king? So to appreciate... Yeah, question? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so listen, listen. When we say Shema, it's often understood saying Shema is a statement of monotheism. I want to flip that around. When we say Shema, it assumes monotheism. And let me explain why. Take that statement. Shema Yisrael, leave aside, means like to listen up. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Is that one statement or two? Well, take a vote. Ready to take a vote again? We did vote. We ended with a vote. You can vote one or two. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem is our God. Hashem is the one God. Or the only God. Okay? Is that one statement or two? Two? Okay, perfect. <laughs> Okay? Huh? Our God is one. And everyone else's God is two? Or three? What? But if it's two statements, <laughs> it's on tape. It's okay. <laughs> Don't those two statements contradict each other? Hashem Elokeinu is our God, and then we say he's everyone's God. Either he's our God or he's everyone's God. We have to make up our mind. But what's Hashem Elokeinu? We're saying he's our God. And then we say he's the only God. So what are we saying? We're right, they're wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so, if I had time, it's, 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 it's right from Sefer Dvarim, but it would take too long. You have to take my word for it for now. You can look it up later on. Right? The speech in Sefer Dvarim begins with a statement, which is exactly from Covenant to Commandments. In Perakein, Dvarim, Pasuk, Aleph, and Bet, where Moshe begins his whole speech, he says, Hashem Elokeinu Karate Manubit Bechorev. Our God made a covenant with us at Har Sinai, and hence we have all the mitzvot. But the whole idea of the Covenant to Commandment is written in Sefer Dvarim. Now, What's that a statement of? What I want, I call it more of a pledge of allegiance. Meaning, Rashi adds a little, remember the shir, that shin we had in the beginning? We're going to throw it here again. Meaning, Rashi understands there's, a shin, there's an implicit shin, meaning, it's, not, it's one statement. It's, Hashem, who is our God, He's the only God. It's not two statements, it's one. Meaning, the God, Hashem Elokein means the God who we have a covenant with, the God we're working for, our boss. Hashem, who is our God, who is He? He's the only God. Meaning, the God that we're representing, He's the God of all mankind. I'm going to show you two in davening in a minute also. That's going to be the Khatima. I'll explain it again to make sure it's clear. What we're saying that, is that the statement that Moshe is making in the beginning of his speech, it's in Parakvav, the speech began in Parakei, he's telling the people of Israel, the God that we have a covenant with, the God who chose us, the God who brought us Tarsina, the God who we signed this contract with, to be a Mamlechet Kone Begoy Kadosh, to be a nation representing God, right? the God who we have to follow, the God we're serving, He's the only God. And hence, our responsibility is even greater. It's not our God, in the, it's not that in ancient times everyone had gods. Every people had gods, and it was like the market. There was some, this guy's on high, that guy's on high, this is the low. And wars were fighting between gods. But there were lots of gods. There was national gods and nature gods, all kinds. 
Because they were powers. Coming and saying that there's only one God? What are we saying? Hashem who is our God, the God who commanded us to do all these laws, is the God of all mankind and hence we have to keep these laws. It's, it's almost a mission statement. We're saying the God who chose us, it, that statement assumes monotheism, but it's a statement of, what, a, what a Chazal call that statement? Much better. They don't call it a statement of monotheism. What do they say it? Kabbalat Omachut Shamaim. Meaning, it's accepting the yoke of heaven. means, I'm a servant of God. It's a pledge of allegiance in the morning who my boss is. That's why, that's why it's so important. Every day when you get up, before you go to bed, you, you make that pledge of allegiance who my boss is and recognize how important my job is. That's Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Now, um, again, I'll, I'll do a, uh, a share in one minute. There's two blessings we say before, before, before that statement, don't we? Remember there's two brachot before saying Shema? You know them? One is about God who created the Yotzer Ma'orot. He created the heavens and the earth and the moon and the sun and created all nature. And the other bracha is Avar Rabbah. You see how they match perfectly? Okay. What, of, those, of those two phrases, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Okay. What, what bracha is Yotzer Amorot coming to explain? Hashem Echad. Yotzer Amorot means God, there isn't a God of the heaven and a God of the earth. But even though it appears to be different gods, it's all one God. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad is all one. I mean, Hashem Echad means He's the only God. And therefore, before we go and make that statement, we qualify it with a beautiful bracha called Yotzer Amorot, that He's the only God. What's the next bracha? Ava that's Hashem Elokeinu. He chose us. I mean, the two brachot before Kriyat Shema is simply preparation for what you're about to say. Which works very nicely. I think, is that clear? Now, I want to conclude. I think we can conclude, yeah. L- look at the Chatimah of the bracha. This is probably member of the heart. This is Chazonis. I won't think it, but... Right? Remember, that's... Now, isn't, what better bracha could there be? What better pasuk could you choose from Malchiyot saying that God is king than saying that Pledge of Allegiance that I'm chosen to represent him. That the God who, who I have a covenant with, the God who I'm working for, the God who I'm keeping all his laws, he's the only God. And hence, it's incumbent upon me, Aleinu Shabach, that we have to do a good job. And therefore, it affects how we act and how we talk. Before we make the bracha, remember, what, what's the bottom line of the bracha? Mekadesh Yisrael. Mekadesh means, doesn't make holy. Mekadesh means, Mekadesh is to designate, to set aside, to represent God. I'm Kadosh. It's a nation designated, set aside to represent God. God set aside the people of Israel and set aside Zmanim, Mekadosh Yisrael, Vyomatikaron. God set aside this day, special day for this reason. Just like He set aside the Jewish people for this reason, He set aside this day in the calendar. We finished that second title now. Remember? The most mentioned holiday, or at least in the Bible, it's the least mentioned holiday. Thematically, God's kingdom is the most mentioned topic in the Bible. So we, get, so we have one more title left and we'll finish. Now, look what we say at the end. We say, Allocate over the Kabbalatenu. Oh, there was another one. There was the first title I forgot. Um, Rosh Hashanah is not the Jewish New Year. Remember all those Rosh Hashanah cards and Hallmark saying, Wishing you a happy New Year? I mean, Jewish New Year? If you look at Chumash, Rosh Hashanah is the New Year for all mankind. Right? Pesach or Nisan is the Jewish New Year. But all mankind, we say it all through davening. All mankind is being judged on that day. We say, Elokeinu v'lekeipotenu. Everyone have it? Melocha kolam kulabich vodecha. Here on the, flip the page over so we can, that's why I did it. Flip, do it, it's called landscape portrait. Portrait. Portrait, top left. Okay. Elokeinu v'lekeipotenu. Right? Again, we're giving our hope. We finished all the psukim and we want to summarize what we said in the beginning. It's our job to, to praise them. 
We finish Malchia, we say as follows. Be king, let your kingdom be on all, all mankind, not just us. You should elevate yourself you know, with your glory. You know, let your glory be known on everybody. And then, every living thing, everything moving should know that you're the one moving him. Everyone should know who the boss is, not just the Jewish people. All mankind has to recognize there's a God. That's the goal. Every created thing should realize that you made him. Then listen. That everyone who has an ashama, every living thing, every human being, what should they say? What's it mean, Hashem elokei Yisrael melech? Doesn't mean to say, oh, you won. What's it mean, Hashem elokei Yisrael melech? Hashem, who's what? What's it mean, the God of Israel? The God that the Jewish people are talking about. The God that the Jewish people are talking about day in and day out. The God, the, the God the Jews never stop talking about. If the Jewish people do their job, they'll bring the name, the reputation of God to mankind. If they're doing a good job, then the people, other nations can recognize who this God is, and then all mankind will recognize and act better because they realize what God expects from them. And therefore, what are we hoping? That we're basically hoping that we do a good job. That, I mean, that we do a good job, that the job works, that we'll be, that we'll be efficient. But that's the same thing, Hashem Elokei to Hashem Echad. We're not saying it's our God, it's not we won, they, they lost. It's not a contest. Our goal is that's called universal. There's this dialectic between universalism and particularism in Judaism all the time. But, but that's the particular, that's the, the goal is universal. But the method is through particularism. There's, we're setting aside a nation for the sake of all mankind. But we're saying, our hope is, it'll work. And all mankind will say the God of, of Israel, he's the real God. Now, how can it work? Look at the next line. Kadshenu b'mitzvotecha. What's that mean? Doesn't mean make us holy. Kadshenu means that would make us designate. Let's work for you. We're special. Make our specialty, our designation, be it through keeping your mitzvot, covenant to commandment. We're asking Basically, God, help us help you. Help us understand the mitzvot properly. Help us um, help us learn the Torah properly, because the Torah is going to be the guide, the instruction of how we act. You can't just say, oh, what a wonderful idea, be a nice person. Another religion stole that. Um, in, instead, we have a whole guide of how to act. So, we don't, that doesn't make us robots, but it gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of case studies that we learn from. That's what Torah Ped goes and does. So we take this law, that law, and that law, we learn one from the other. That's what Jewish learning is about. We take our basic principles, and then we go and apply them all day long. So we're asking God... Let, let your master plan work, and on the second hand, also make it um, help us follow you the right way. Now, assuming I want to serve you, and I'm studying, help, help me be efficient in what we're doing. Um, with that idea, I want to conclude with the third title. Remember? Is a Lenin Shabbat a mission statement? Remember? Is, is it a goodbye prayer? A tzilat or a, uh, a mission statement? I tried to show you it's a mission statement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, if that's true, remember, we're not missionaries in so much, it's more about what we do more than what we say. What we say to each other to remind ourselves. But we don't, get, we don't just broadcast all day long. And there's no point in broadcasting until we get our act together first as a nation. You don't go public until the company is solid. No. But when that joke I said in the beginning about Alainu being a tefillat aderach, like a thing, if that's true, there could be no better tefillat aderach leaving shul or finishing prayer. What's the purpose of prayer in the morning? If it's a pledge of allegiance, it's a reminder what you're about. You're about to enter a day of, of, of day-to-day life. 
But everyone's working with the working, but as you work as a person, in day to day, that's what Chumash is about. You're, you're plowing the field. You're working in day to day life. But how you act in your day to day life is in the service of Hashem, and the Torah is the guide of how to act. So before you leave Shul, right, you finish stopping. The goal isn't to come to Shul, the goal is leaving Shul. Understand? You don't go to Shul to go to Shul. You go to Shul to inspire. You daven, the goal isn't to daven. The goal is to daven, it's Lemoda Lasot, to do. So what do you leave Tfilah with? So Rosh Hashanah makes a lot of sense. But taking that prayer from Rosh Hashanah and saying it as you leave, leaving your prayers, or leaving, leaving sure, leaving thing, is, is, is a beautiful tefillah Federa. Not so much, not in the sense of protect me, protect me from danger, but remind me of what I need to do.